The title of this message is Blood-Bought Thoughts. Blood-Bought Thoughts. I want to share this morning from my own journey, from the lessons God himself has taught me in living a crucified life. And specifically, that living a crucified life is in many ways about living a crucified thought life. The Bible says that we are purchased and ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter it says that we were ransomed, not with gold and silver, that which is perishable, but with what? With the precious blood of a spotless lamb, Jesus Christ himself. We are blood-bought, blood-washed sons and daughters. And as a part of this, I believe living the crucified life is about living a life of blood-bought thoughts. Living a life of thoughts that are dominated by the Word of God. Living a life whose mind is dominated by the truth of God. When we live a life that is absorbed and consumed and obsessed with the truth of God's word, we live an indomitable life. Because the truth is indomitable. It cannot be overcome. It cannot be beaten. It cannot be tainted. It cannot be defeated. And so when we have a life that is absorbed in the truth, we begin to live indomitable. Because Jesus paid the price for us to do so. I know I'm wearing this chain on my neck. (laughs) I know I'm wearing this chain on my neck, but I want you guys to envision with me, if you will, This chain wrapped around my mind and wrapped around our minds. Because the truth is, that is a picture of what it looks like when we live an uncrucified thought life. In the stark truth of the uncrucified thought life, is that we do it by choice. Jesus Christ, it says in the Word, He came to destroy the works of the devil. It says in the Word that we are called to be more than conquerors. It says in the Word that Jesus Christ leads us in triumph always, that we would be a fragrant aroma of Him. That we're called to be living epistles, to be read by all men. But the chains that we have in our thought lives and in our minds are by choice. Because Jesus defeated the works of the devil. And the truth is that every single link on this chain is a thought pattern, a lie that does not line up with the truth of God's word. It's a lie about God's character. It's a lie about yourself, it's self-doubt, it's fear, it's shame. It's lies about our future, our destiny, our identities. But I'm here to encourage us this morning that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, can live a blood-bought thought life. That we do not have to succumb to the lies of the accuser that come to torment us and taunt us and drive us insane. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about this morning? You're going through something hard. It's a trial. It's a tribulation. It's a testing. It's a suffering. 
And many times those circumstances of life are when those thoughts begin to rage. Is God really good? Paul preached an amazing message last week, surrounded by the goodness of God, never putting God on trial. When God calls us to do something, do I have what it takes? I can't do this. I'm just a failure. I'll always fail. I'll always be poor. I'll always be broke. The, the patterns and the thought, pat, the, the inner narratives that we have that are on replay in our minds. And the truth about a lot of this is that it's so subconscious that we're not even aware of it. I want to read us a quote. From Francis, Frangipan, this is from his book, The Three Battlegrounds. It's an amazing book. I encourage you to, to get a copy. I think it's on the shelf back there. They're not all gone. But I want to read this quote, and if, it's a little lengthy, so bear with me. Try to, to, to listen as closely as possible because it's powerful, and it does a great job of communicating what I am trying to, to help us with, that we would live a crucified thought life. Gosh, this is so convicting. Indeed, the territory of the uncrucified thought life is the beachhead of satanic assault in our lives. To defeat the devil, we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Wherever a stronghold exists, it is a demonically induced pattern of thinking. Specifically, it is a house made of thoughts which has become a dwelling place for satanic activity. Let us realize, therefore, that the energies we expend in keeping our sins secret are the actual materials of which a stronghold is made. The demon you are fighting is actually using your thoughts to protect his access to your life. It is important to recognize that when we speak of strongholds, we are not talking about random thoughts or occasional sins. Rather, the strongholds that affect us most are those which are so hidden in our thinking patterns that we do not recognize them or identify them as evil. Remember, in our initial text, Jesus revealed that unclean spirits are seeking, quote, unquote, rest. The sense of rest they seek originates from being in harmony with their environment. In other words, when our thought life is in agreement with unbelief, fear, or habitual sin, the enemy has rest. I don't know about you guys, but that, that convicts me to my core. Because if I'm being honest, I have lived a life that has been more dominated by my own head and the own swirling than by the truth. And the sad truth about that is I've known the word of God for a long time. It's not, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You know, he's speaking to the religious people there. He, he tells them, he says, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. He was trying to introduce to them that it's not just in the words, it's not in the information. It's in the introduction of the person that the words bring us into. That the, living, the written word speaks of the living word. And so I want to give us, I want to give us four things today. And if you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles with me to Psalm 139, we're going to start there. If you want to write these four things down real quick before I get too carried away, that might be a, a good idea. <laughs> Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Sorry, the, the four things. The four things. Number one is turn the lights on. Number two is renew and repent. Number three is wield the word. And number four is forever filled. So starting in Psalm 139 with turn the lights on. What does this mean? Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. 
and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The point I want to make here is of turning the lights on is simply self-examination. It's simply self-awareness. It's simply getting in fellowship closely enough with the Holy Spirit and with the Father that He can begin to expose the false lies, the false thinking patterns that we agree with. And it has to be in fellowship with God. I'm not talking about going on a witch hunt. I'm not talking about being a... a, a obsessively looking under every nook and cranny. I'm saying, God, I submit my life to you. I submit my heart to you and my mind to you, God, and I pray that you would reveal any hurtful way in me. This scripture reveals in us that the hurtful ways, the other, the other, the footnote says ways of pain. Another translation says a way of idolatry. And what the scripture opens up is that many times it is in our hearts and in our minds that therein lies the hurtful way. It is in our thinking, it's in our feeling that the hurtful way exists, that the ways of pain exist. It doesn't mean we're not going to face trial. It doesn't mean we're not going to face suffering. But it means that in the midst of them, we can live as overcomers. We do not have to succumb to the earthly mess. Colossians 2 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. In other words, We don't have to live in our earthly thinking and our limited mind. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that His thoughts, as the heavens are higher above the earth, so His thoughts and His ways are higher than my ways. Living blood-bought thought lifestyle is about getting in the mind. I'm not saying that, listen, the omnis are always off limits, okay? I'm not talking about some crazy level of spiritual elitism where we're above everybody. It's, no, it's simply having the mind of truth, the mind of Christ, living according to the word of God. So turn the lights on that we would allow God to, I got to take this off. I'm sorry, I was like, weighing it down, weighing me down. Annoying and distracting. But that's what it's like. And honestly, as simply as I took it off and threw it on the ground, is as simple as it is. Listen, I'm not here to minimize legitimate and intense trauma and abuse, okay? That's not my heart. Yet even as Paul mentioned last week, our response to those things are still our responsibility. Our our victimhood, our self-contempt, feeling sorry for myself is still my own fault. But as simply as I took those chains off, we can renew our minds to the truth. And that's the second part. Renew and repent. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Jesus. Romans chapter 12. Renew and repent. Number one is turn the lights on. We need a level of God's spirit activity in our mind and our heart to expose the things that are ailing us that we're not even aware of because they're so self subconscious and subliminal that we, we it's like they're so normal to our dna and our programming that it has to be reprogrammed it's like the whole thought of god having to deliver the israelites from egypt but having to deliver egypt out of the israelites they had an old thinking pattern our thinking pattern has to be renewed it has to be changed and that's where we're picking up in romans 12 verse 1 therefore i urge you brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or rational service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world or to this age, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. So conformed versus transformed. What's the difference? This word in Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to use blue letter Bible, okay? <laughs> Seriously. But hey, that's an encouragement of we don't have an excuse. We can all be students of the word of God. We should all be students of the word of God. I'm getting into my second point, so I'm going to slow down. Do not be conformed. Conformed versus transformed. Conformed, this is in the passive in the Greek. In other words, what this means is that conformity to something can happen to us passively. It's not necessarily an active participation on our part to be conformed to the image of this world. So the question is, what am I consuming? What am I looking at? What am I listening to? What am I scrolling through? What am I thinking about? See, my fear, and I, I struggle with this in my own life, and specifically my cell phone. This thing I believe is like an enemy of intimacy with God and with my family. This thing, the Lord has helped me to see this thing as not a toy, but a tool. Toys are meant for entertainment. Any entertainment on this thing is, is not healthy. It's not good for me. But this thing is, is a tool for me. And specifically, it's a tool for me because I make a lot of cold calls in my work. But since I'm on the phone a lot in my work, I have to like detox from being on my phone. I, I feel like this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like that digital addiction, that like sensation where you're just like, it's like a tick. It's like, pull my phone out. What's, what's, it's like, what, what is going on? Seriously, no. What is happening? Is this relatable to anybody? I'm serious, but this, I'm telling you, this is so subtle. This is the passive conformity to the image of the world that I'm talking about. That we do it without even realizing it. And then, and then what does it do? It creates a sense of mindlessness. And it's like, where's, where's my brain right now? Listen, guys, I know we're charismatic here, okay, right? And I love feeling, I love the experience, I love the power and the presence of God. But I think there's something in, in the charismatic world where it's like, oh, your mind, like, yeah, whatever. It's like, no, our minds are powerful assets given to us by God. The power to think, the power to process, the power to explore. The, I mean, the, the development of our world is a, is a, is a product of our mind, of the minds God has given us. But the point is, is that the subtle distractions in our, our minds leave, lead us astray from simplicity and purity to devotion of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is writing and says, I betrothed you to Jesus, that you would be presented to him as a pure and spotless bride. But what does he say? He says, but I'm afraid. He says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you will be led astray by the, like Eve was, by the craftiness of the devil. And that you would be led astray. Where does it say? Let's read it. Let's go there. So you guys can see it for yourself. 2 Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11. Jesus. Starting in verse 2. I love the word of God. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craft, craftiness, I almost said crappiness, <laughs> 
I should have just left that in my brain and not said it out loud. Let's start over in verse 3. <laughs> but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your what? Does it say your hearts? Does it say your actions? It says, I am afraid your minds, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Distraction, we're, we're connecting the thoughts here from Romans 12 of conformity, that it happens passively, and I believe a, a, a huge way this happens is through mindless distraction, through just like a, 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 an absence of, of thought and presence. But what does it say? And do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The difference between conformed is that it's passive. And actually, the conformity, what the, the language opens up for us in the Greek is that it's taking on an exterior image that is incongruent with the inner man. So when we're conformed to the pattern of this world or this age, we're taking on an exterior image that is incongruent, that does not compute with the regenerated, new in life, new in nature, son and daughter, blood-bought children that we are. It's incongruent. It's incompatible. And so when we give into these thoughts and this mindlessness, it's like driving, it's like having a brand new Ferrari, the new in nature, man. It's like having a brand new Ferrari with like a, 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 a 1990s Ford Taurus engine. Or it's like having the software of like a supercomputer with a processor from like the, you know, like the old computer. I'm just having that vision. Right. Like a, a 1990s processor. It does not compute. It, that's, I believe it's one of the reasons that so many Christians are so miserable because they're trying to live according to a nature that is not theirs in Christ. Yes. We're trying to live in the flesh, but God has called us to live in the spirit. We're, we're trying to live according to lies when we're called to live according to the truth. When we give in to the lies of the enemy, it says that the devil is the father of all lies. We are acting, as sons and daughters, we are acting like the devil is our father. But what I've noticed in my own life is that somehow, some way, maybe it's because I didn't grow up in the church, or maybe because I, I was wiling out as a young kid and being D-U-M-B. I spell things because I have young kids, so dumb. So maybe, maybe the rewiring, it, maybe it's different for me than everybody else. I don't know. I lost my train of thought. So we're not conformed because it, it's not congruent with who we truly are, who God has purchased us to be as sons and daughters. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind, not the engagement of your heart, but our hearts should be engaged. But I believe that when we renew our mind, so listen, stinking thinking, right? We talk about stinking thinking leads to stinking feeling, which leads to stinking speaking, which leads to stinking acting. But it starts with our thoughts. It starts with the truth. And being transformed... This is the same word that is used of Jesus in his transfiguration. If you're familiar with the story, they go on the mountain. Jesus is like his divinity in a moment is, is, is revealed. Like he, we know in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself as a man. He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. So in this moment, Jesus, like he, he was effulgent, it was light, it was bright. And the transfiguration, this word transformed, means having an outward appearance 
that is congruent with the inner man. So in that moment, in his transfiguration, his divinity shined forth. The outraying and the light and the glory of God, that which was on sight of him, was, was made apparent. So by renewing our minds, we are transformed to look like on the outside who we truly are on the inside as sons and daughters. Blood-bought thoughts. Are we renewing my mind? What am I consuming? Where is my mind? What thoughts am I partnering with? Because then what begins to happen, as we turn the lights on, and as we start, and we start to expose the things hidden in the darkness, the thought patterns that are hidden in the darkness, we start to see them for what they are, and we start to renew our mind to the truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of who we are. It's like an oh my gosh moment. I've been believing this my whole life. Like, there's been times in my life where God, like, I knew that God loved me, and God would speak like, I love you, son, and I'd be like, that's not true. Anybody else relate to this? Am I the only one in the, in the room? Listen, what happens is, is we partner with and believe lies and untruth and, and all this shame and fear for so long that the truth then, when presented, sounds like a lie to us. I believe I suck, I believe I'm hate, whatever. All the, all the self-contemptuous narrative that we all struggle with in our shame or have struggled with. God speaks, I love you. I'm a piece of trash. You, why, you don't, I'm not worth loving. And then, so the renewal happens. The truth is presented in contrast to the lie. And then what do we have to do? We have to repent, which is changing our minds. That's what repentance is at its basic definition. It is changing our minds. It's going in this direction and saying, oh, my gosh, I'm headed off this cliff. I'm going back this way. I'm going to you, Father, because that's what repentance is. Repentance isn't a brow beating by God. It's an invitation back to the truth so that we can get freed up in our souls to do and be all that he's called us to. Come on. I'm excited. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I tell you that if we don't renew our minds, we will never partner with the will of God. The carnal mind that is not renewed to the truth of God, the will of God doesn't make sense to him. It's incongruent thinking. It doesn't, but, but when we renew our minds to the truth, we test and approve. No, this will is good. I believe, Jeremiah 29, that you have a future and a hope for me, that you have plans to prosper me, plans for my welfare, not to harm me, and that when I seek you and seek you with all my heart, that I'll find you. I believe that according to Ephesians 3.20, that you have abundantly and exceedingly above and beyond what I could even dare imagine or pray for or ask for. A lot of times we get confused because it's a timing issue. It's like it doesn't come, it doesn't go the way we thought. And we're like, man, God, God, God's mad at me now again. He's trying to trip me up. No, he's trying to purify you so that he can actually give you the thing in the first place. A lot of times we mistake the discipline of God for not wanting to give us the thing that, that is the desire in our heart. When a lot of time it's him giving us the purity that is able to carry that very thing. And so we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can partner with the will of God. So number one is turn the lights on. Search me. See. Try my anxious thoughts and lead me in a way everlasting. Number two is um, renew and repent. My whole notes got changed, so i got to stop looking at them because it's messing me up. Renew and repent is number two. Number three, wield the word. So we expose the lies, renew our mind to the truth, repent for our stinking thinking, and then we begin to wield the word. Please turn to Joshua chapter 1. We must learn to wield the word of God. I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial and might be taken the wrong way, but I believe it's true. Reading our Bible is not enough. 
reading our Bible is not enough. How many of us went to college and read a textbook? How much? I mean, listen, okay, I, I, every example falls short. The living of God is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's, it's, it's living and acting sharper than a double-edged sword. So that's not the intention. But the point is, is that we can take the information in a textbook and have all the knowledge of even an industry or a specialization, but never do anything with it. Never partner with it. We can, you know that you can strive in reading the word? You can in your flesh read the word of God like, what is that one nugget of truth that's going to set me further for the rest of my life and I got to find it, I got to get it now. And it's like all the while in the hurry and the anxiety that we're in the swirl of reading the Bible, it's like we miss all the things that God wants to give us in the first place. Sometimes less is more in the word of God. I didn't say all the time, I said sometimes. There's been seasons of my life where I devoured large chunks of the word of God and it blessed me because I got to see the overarching plan and narrative of God in the Old Testament and how all the things connected and it was beautiful. And then there's been seasons like last year where I would live in like one chapter or one verse because I was so desperate and broken for breakthrough in my life that Psalm 139 anchored my soul. And so sometimes the point is less is more. Reading our Bible isn't enough. If we just think that, again, Jesus said, you search the scriptures and read the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. When he was saying, no, it's in me you have life. So unless we're connected with God while we're reading his word, there's no transformation. Connection is intimacy that makes action transformative. In other words, we can pray in our flesh. Jesus, uh, Jesus confronted the Pharisees. You stand and you do it to be heard by men. We can read our Bibles in the flesh. We can worship in the flesh. The key is connection. The key is intimacy. The key is locking eyes with him and encountering him in his word and allowing his word to introduce us into the person, the living word. And so Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 5, we're going to read through verse 9. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your... Okay, sorry, I need to stop. I can't do this to you guys. The context here, they're in the plains of Moab. Moses is dead. God leads, God's like, go walk up this mountain and you're going to die there. Talk about obedience. Talk about radical obedience. They're in the plains of Moab. Moses is dead. The baton has been passed to Joshua, who's been being groomed. And so this is, this is God speaking to Joshua, who is about to lead this nation who's been stuck in the wilderness for, for in large part because of their own disobedience. He's about to lead them into the promised land. He's about to go and part the waters of the Jordan and lead them into the land of promise that he originally saved them from Egypt in the first place for. But there's going to be some giants in the land. There's going to be some battles in the land. And so God is speaking to Joshua in verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Man, how's that for some truth in our lives? I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Come on. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. One thing I want to point out about this, verses 5 to 9, the bookends of what he's talking about is presence. End of verse 5. I will not fail you or forsake you. I will be with you. Verse 9 at the end. For your God is with you wherever you go. 
everything in our lives should be in the context of the presence of God. If we don't have His presence, if we don't have His face, that's the word in the Hebrew is the face. When God came, after, after man fell in the garden, and, he, and it says that Adam heard the sound of him in the garden, it says that he hid from his presence, he hid from the face of God. That intimacy. The context of all of our lives should be lived in the presence of God. Can I, tell, can I, can I pick a bone here? When you think about the whole context and theme of the entire Bible, what is it? A lot of people say redemption. Well, that doesn't apply to the first two chapters because there's no fall. I believe the main theme of the scriptures is the presence of God and his interaction, his communion, his intimacy, his relationship with mankind. All of, all of our life has to be lived in that context. In the presence of God, whether we're working, whether we're sleeping, God, visit me in my dreams. Whether we're with our family, whatever we're doing should be in the context of the presence of God because his presence is present. All the time, everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. The question is, am I aware of it or not? Be still and not know that I am God. Gosh, I am so ignorant to the presence of God sometimes. Working, doing whatever, running around, running errands like a chicken with my head cut off sometimes. And it's like I'm missing fellowship with God. All that stuff can be intimate. It all can be from a place of connection. I'm not talking about living some spiritual life where we hunker down in a closet and only stay there for 24-7. I'm talking about communing with him and abiding in the vine and walking in the spirit as we live our daily life everywhere we go. So that the presence of God that we're filled with oozes on and spills out onto everybody else. This is what I'm jealous for. And convicted of in my own life. That's not the point of this passage that I was trying to make. But the context is the presence of God. So we need to learn to wield the word. How do we wield the word if we don't know the word? How do I speak the word if I'm not consuming the word? How do I put the word? So it's good to read your Bible. I'm not like I know I said it's not enough, but it's not. But we need to consume it. Because the word says that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the, the word isn't just information to be consumed. It's food for our souls because his word has creative power. It has saving power and has sustaining power. And when we're not eating of its milk, like in second Peter, I think it's second Peter, maybe first Peter. We're malnourished. We live a malnourished spiritual life when we're not living a life consumed by the word of God, consumed by the word of God. If you want to cultivate a hunger for the word, I challenge you to read Psalm 119. And you're not going to want to do it because it's the longest book in the Bible and we have spiritual laziness issues that we need to all deal with. <laughs> oh, thank you for this water. This appeared from heaven. I have no idea where that came from. <clears throat> what was my last thought? Psalm 119. Are we consuming the word of God? Wielding the word. Can we wield it if we don't know it? Can we speak it? Okay, so let me just give you these four things before I get off. Four things are happening with the word of God here in Joshua. It's thinking. That's meditating. He says, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. That's speaking. He says, be sure to do everything in it. That's doing, that's acting. And then there's the result, which is prosperity and success everywhere you go. We need to redefine what success is because the world has stolen it and said it's a big house, it's a fancy car, it's a big bank account. But success is when I am so consumed by the word of God that it leads me wherever I go and I don't, I don't go to the right or to the left. And whatever comes from this place, it doesn't matter because I'm going to have success when I'm aligned with the word of God, with the truth of God, with the will of God and the heart of God in my life. Thinking, speaking, doing, and then you'll be successful. But do we know it? Do we eat of it? Do we consume it? If you want to have a healthy dose of conviction about your hunger for the word of God like I have, 
read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119. I think it's Psalm 119, 72. David writes and says, your law is more precious to me than a thousands, than not even 1,000. I misquoted. Let's go to it just so you know. Psalm 119, 72. I love the word of God. I'm convicted preaching because I want to read it more. And I make excuses and schedule God out instead of schedule him in. I say, I got this meeting. I got this morning thing. I got this work thing. I got this whatever thing. And then, you know, procrastination kills progress. If we procrastinate in the word of God, we're procrastinating our transformation to the image of Christ. And when we procrastinate that, what we really say is that I don't value the image of Christ and I don't value being conformed and transformed into his image. Psalm 119, 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law. That's his word. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Can, you, can we say this in our hearts and our souls? Can we genuinely say this? That this is more valuable than a billion dollars. One billion dollars. Do I feel that way about this? If I'm being honest with myself, does my life and the way that I live reveal that? Because what we live really reveals what we know. The degree of lip service we give to God and people can be measured by the gap between what we say and what we do. It's that simple. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I rejoice. Is it in my life where I find myself celebrating the word of God like I just conquered another nation and I just had the spoil of all of that nation's wealth and it's now mine? Do I rejoice over the word of God like that? I mean, that's what this Bible, this, that's what this verse is saying. As one who finds great spoil. Isn't spoil the, the, the treasures of conquering another kingdom from war? They bring back the spoil. Do I rejoice in the word of God like that? My goodness. Wield the word. We got to know it. We got to consume it. When I get squeezed in my life, what oozes out of me? Is it the word of God? Or is it my self-doubt, my insecurity, my fear of man, my fear of failure? Jesus, wield the word. This is modeled to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The devil comes and tempts him, tempts him. What does he do? He quotes scripture. Man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every single temptation. And guys, I'm not preaching anything we don't know this morning. We've all probably heard that before. Like, yeah, temptation, fight temptation with the word of God, and that's what Jesus did, and Great. But it's like, is it active and present in our lives? See, part of our problem is that we're too informed, is that we have too much knowledge and not enough intimacy, not enough reality. We have, we're deceived in our minds by thinking that because we learned it and read it, that it's real. Deception is false lies that create alternate false realities. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. We believe lies and create realities that we think are real, but it's actually a facade. It's not real. And that's why we need the truth to break in and break down the strongholds that torment us. Wield the word. Wield the word. We got to consume it before we can wield it. We have to know it if we want to speak it. Can I tell you something? If your prayer life is not out loud... I, with every fiber in my being, exhort you to pray out loud and open your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21. The power of life and death are in the tongue. And, the, and those who love it eat its fruit. Our words have creative power. Listen, please hear me clearly. I'm not talking about the power to create nothing from something like God did. Never, ever. But there is something that happens when I speak the truth that my mind hears it, that my spirit, it's like, it's, it's true. 
The power of life and death are in the tongue. And if we would speak the word, if we would pray the word, if we would meditate on the word, the word meditate, part of what it means in the language is to muse, is to be absorbed in thought. To be absorbed in thought. So we wield the word with words. We got to speak it. That's what Jesus did. Wield the word with words and forever filled. Gosh, we gotta, we have to receive fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. Without the anointing of the Spirit, we got nothing. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ, raised Him from the dead, lives in us and gives life to our bodies. If we are made alive by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have Spirit-dominated life. In Psalm 23... David's writing, and he's talking about, at the end of it, he says, you anoint my head with oil. Sheep in the summertime, there will be bugs, gnats, flies, and maggots that will grow. on it. Go to YouTube and look at this. It, it's real. Like, there's literally maggots growing inside a sheep's head. The parasites can go up their nose into their brain and cause them such insanity that they, they run off of a cliff, that they bang their head and ride their head against trees trying to get rid of the pain. I know it's an explicit picture. But, but those of us who know what it's like to have a thought life that is so incessantly intense and accusatory, that's exactly what it's like. It's like you're being driven mad, and you're like, you want out, but you don't know how. It's the truth of God, but this point is uh, uh, forever filled. And so you anoint my head with oil. What the, what the shepherd would do is would, they would anoint the sheep's head with oil and ointment because it would keep the flies away. That's the anointing of the Spirit in our life. It's the anointing of the Spirit in our life that will keep the gnats away as we continue to renew our minds and repent, as we turn the lights on, as we wield the Word, as we break every single chain, as we demolish every chain. Because, again, the devil's been defeated. The only access he has in our life is what we give him permission to. So I want to encourage us this morning, if you want to stand with me, I want to invite you up here. I want to have an altar call. If you feel convicted in your spirit, if you're like, man, I want to get out of these tormenting thoughts. I want to be done with this pattern of thinking. I just want the lights turned on in my thinking so that I can be aware of what's going on. Because most of the time in my life, I feel like crap. I don't know why I feel so bleh all the time, but I just do. If that describes you in any way, if you just want a greater hunger for the Word of God, if you want greater consumption in His Word, I just want to invite you to come forth right now and seek the Lord and allow Him to minister His truth to your heart.
Father, I pray that we would know the truth and that it would set us free this morning. Jesus, I thank you that because of your divine power, we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Father, I pray that you would father us through this. That you would help us, that you would help rewrite the narrative in our minds and our hearts, God. Rewrite the words, Lord. Rewrite the shame, God. Would you bring redemption and restoration where there was destruction and desolation, God? Would you rebuild, would you demolish the strongholds of thinking, God, and rebuild them with the stronghold of you, Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life? Jesus, come and search us. Come and know us. Come and try us. And see if there be any hurtful way in us. And lead us in the everlasting way, God. Break it.